This right here is the Twib Lounge. You are now listening to Twib FM. Real talk, real awesome. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Girl Learns Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Tonight, we have Dr. Patricia Thompson, PhD. She is an award-winning psychologist, management consultant, and author. And she is going to talk to us about just how to live your best life, how to be successful in your career. And really, this is going to be one of those shows where there's going to be a lot of good takeaways and information that you would need to apply in your daily lives. So make sure that you have a pen and paper with you and take some copious notes. Uh, If you have your laptop, bring out that digital notepad and start typing, because I really feel like this is going to be one of those shows, again, where we can get some really good resourceful information. And uh, Patricia has spoken with um, a lot of major media conglomerates about what she's done in her book as well. And we'll talk more about that on the show. Um, We have our co-host, Latanya, that's with us. And she's going to be joining me and asking Patricia questions on this. And before I pass the virtual mic over to Latanya, I do want to make some announcements. Um, As you know, I've been making this announcement for about a week or so now, actually maybe a couple of weeks. We will be in New York City for New York Super Week, and that's going to be on Saturday, October the 4th. Um, LaTanya will be there with me as well. Very excited. What, what? (laughs) BGN's taking over New York. Um, So yeah, join us for New York Super Week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, The tickets are $10, and it's going to be at 5 o'clock. We're doing a live podcast from that location, which is going to be at the Galapagos Museum of Art in Brooklyn. Um, So please uh, check that out when you get the opportunity. That's going to be the week preceding New York Comic Con. Also, blackgirlnerds.com, it's our website. It's really how we got started. I suggest that you bookmark that on your browser, make it your homepage if you'd like, because there's a lot of great content and information that we provide on a daily basis. Um, But most importantly, I always get a lot of emails from people saying, hey, I'm an author. I'd love for you to promote my book. I'm a filmmaker. I'd like you to promote my film. And I love doing that um, by putting out press releases and updating content on the website. But I would highly encourage you to also look to blog ads. Uh, Blog ads allows you to purchase ad space on the site, and it's located on the right sidebar. And that stays static on the site for as long as you want. And that's where we get the most penetration and traffic um, is from that front page where people can see your product or service. So check out blog ads. And all you have to do is just click the link on the right sidebar um, to buy a blog ad is what the link will say. And take advantage of that. Because sometimes, you know, when I post information for people that want to have their books or services promoted, That gets pushed down like a day later because we update content all the time. So it may not get the kind of visibility that you want as opposed to having a static image on the site for as long as you want it based off of the advertisement threshold. And the rates are very competitive. Some people think I'm crazy for the rates that are set up there. But, you know, I understand what it's like to be on a budget. I'm on one myself. So take advantage of blog ads uh, when you get the opportunity. 
So I am going to pass the virtual mic over to Latanya. Uh, Latanya, feel free to introduce yourself. Tell us anything that you're currently up to and your social media shout out. Hello guys, I'm Latanya. Um, I have a blog called Sprinkles and Booze, sprinklesandbooze.com. Um, most of my social media is all sprinkles and booze and it's all found on my website. So you could just go and add me on everything. I'm on everything. And um, I have no major things coming up. Oh, well, we have Super Week coming up. Um, I am assisting with Blog Academy, which is a blog bloggers workshop in New York City later this month, the week actually before we're at Super Week. Um, those are my two big things right now that I'm gearing up for. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Cool. All right. So, um, again, you can give us a call if you have any questions for our guest, Patricia, the number is 718-404-9320. You can tweet to us using that hashtag BGM podcast that allows you to jump into the feed and participate with live listeners, leave your comments or ask your questions there. And I'll be sure to address them on the air. Um, so Dr. Patricia Tim Thompson is an award-winning psychologist and management consultant who is passionate about helping her clients flourish. Since 2004, she has advised CEOs and senior leaders to assist them in achieving their best outcomes. She founded Silver Lining Psychology to teach businesses how to use the science of positive psychology to achieve greater outcomes. She is the author of The Consummate Leader, A Holistic Guide to Inspiring Growth in Others and in Yourself. Patricia has been featured on CNN.com, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, The Network Journal, Mind Body Green, iVillage, Elephant Journal, The Yoga Journal, Family Friendly Working, Investors Business Daily, Monster.com, Career Builder, and many, many other sites. Very impressive. Please welcome Dr. Patricia Thompson to the show. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Thank you for coming on tonight. My, my first question to you, because we featured you in our BGN Girl Spotlight, um, would you describe yourself as a black girl nerd? And if so, why? I would definitely describe myself as a black girl nerd. And um, it's actually funny. A few years ago, I think it was confirmed for me when I was in the mall. And I saw someone who was wearing a shirt that said, uh, talk nerdy to me. Mm. And immediately I like totally coveted that shirt and wish that I had it for myself because I, I totally um, identify with being a nerd. I think, um, you know, just people who are quirky and unique. I think that's something that is really special. And I'm glad that you guys are really promoting that amongst the black population, because I think that's so critical. And I've always been one of those people who is really interested in academics and, you know, very esoteric subjects and the kid who the teacher stopped calling on because I was always putting up my hand to try and answer the questions. And even though I'm not into fantasy a lot, um, I am someone who, you know, looks up things like derivations of words or, you know, singing songs with a British accent or just doing stuff that's really quirky <laughs> and stupid. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, that's what being a nerd is about. And I really revel in it. So I totally consider myself a black girl nerd. That's awesome. Yeah. That the, the talk nerdy to me shirt. I also own that shirt. Oh, you own it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Wild World special, like 10 bucks at, at Walmart. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I think they still sell those shirts there. So that's awesome that you brought that up. Yeah. Um, you are a corporate psychologist. What does this corporate psychologist do? 
Yeah, you know, so the term corporate psychologist is one that I find a lot of people haven't heard of. And when I'm on an airplane and I tell people that, you know, immediately they either get really curious or they get really quiet because they think that I'm analyzing them. But um, basically what I do as a corporate psychologist is I use psychological principles to help people and businesses to flourish and be most effective. And so I think a good example in terms of thinking of it is if you think of a show like The Apprentice, for example. Mm-hmm. So you have a show, and yes, it's reality, and it's a little bit constructed, obviously, but I think the, the premise works in that you can have a group of really smart and talented people who just can't get their act together and work in the most effective way to actually accomplish their goals. And, you know, if you think of any sort of workplace that you've been in, you know, work is done by people with different personalities and getting those personalities to mesh in a way that enables them to be effective is, you know, what's really going to help them to be at their best. And so what I do is really try to set up the conditions to increase the odds that people can all work together and get the best results. And so, you know, sometimes I do that by helping companies to assess people before they're bringing them in for a role. And so especially if you have someone who's high up in an in a organization, if they're not kind of what the company needs, they can really create a lot of problems. And so I help to screen them ahead of time, I guess, through what's called psychological assessments. Um, I also do a lot of coaching of people in organizations and then training as well to teach people about things like how to be most effective, how to develop as a leader, you know, things like emotional intelligence, all those sorts of things that um, I think people aren't necessarily as aware of because they tend to focus so much just on getting the job done that they aren't really thinking about the psychological aspects of getting the job done as much as they should. Um, okay, you've mentioned that you've gone through a breakup, which actually triggered the idea of your book, behind your book. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, like I said, the book is called The Consummate Leader, and it's a leadership book. But it actually started about five years ago as a result of a breakup. And I was in a relationship that was going on four years. And I thought it was going to end up in, like, you know, happily ever after, but it didn't. It, I guess, was more like miserably no longer to be. And as a result of that, I was really devastated. And, um, you know, because you're in this relationship and you think that you're going to get married and the next thing you know, um, you're not in it anymore. And I won't go into all the details because I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but, you know, it was hard for me to deal with. And... Um, you know, what I started doing as a result of the breakup was all of the typical things you do. So, you know, first of all, as a psychologist, I would write in my journal or I would read self-help books or, you know, I would um, talk to friends about what how I was feeling. Um, but at the same time, I was doing things like, you know, I developed this fetish for buying handbags. So I started buying a <laughs> lot of purses. And, you know, eating more chocolate than I should have and, like, torturing myself by making um, CDs with sad songs on them. And after a while, I just decided that this was ridiculous and I need to kind of move on. And so at that point, what I decided was that I really wanted to make myself better as a person. I'd seen some people who had gone through relationship breakups and it had made them really bitter. And I didn't want to become one of those people. I really wanted to be someone who learned about myself through that process. 
And so at that point, I just started doing a lot of self-examination. And I was kind of thinking about, okay, I know that I wasn't totally the reason for the breakup, but, you know, how did I contribute to this? Or, you know, what aspects of my personality were good in the relationship? What aspects of my personality, you know, probably created some issues? And I really did a lot of self-reflection. And what I found was that the more self-aware I became and the more introspection I did, not only did I become better as a person overall, but the side effect was that I also got a lot better at my job. Um, you know, I had been doing executive coaching for a while at that point, and I would say that I was a pretty good executive coach up to that point, but the more I understood myself, the better I was able to work with other people. You know, I could connect with them in a way that I wasn't able to connect with them before. I had more empathy. I was able to be more present. And so, um, you know, because of that, it kind of really crystallized for me that when you come to work, you really come as a whole person. And the people who are most effective are the ones who are the most self-aware and the ones who are really willing to do the work in terms of understanding themselves as a whole person. And so um, because of that, I decided that I was going to write sort of book that would help people to understand themselves as a whole person and really think of themselves holistically and then take that and they could apply it to the work world. But it would also have the benefit of helping them just in all aspects of their life. Wow. Um, yeah, I was going to ask the second part of my question is, why did you write the book? But you just answered that for me. So, <laughs> well, I also, I actually also wrote it. That was kind of what created it, what started mm -hmm. it off. But I also worked it, wrote it just because um, I worked with really senior leaders in the organization. So, like Jamie had said, it was mostly like CEOs and mm -hmm. really senior people. And I felt like there was a lot of stuff that people who were less senior could learn um, so that they wouldn't have to wait until they became, you know, high level leaders to learn the sort of stuff that would help them to develop. And mm -hmm. also, I just know that executive coaching can be really expensive. And so I wanted to write a book that would give people really practical strategies that they could use to become more effective. And so, you know, the book is appropriate for people who are leaders, but also for people who really are aspiring leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think that's pretty much almost everyone. And, you know, I've also wanted to write a book that was research-based, but also very relatable with lots of examples and strategies. And I think, especially for um, an African-American population, the one thing that I've noticed, unfortunately, in working in really senior positions in organizations is that there aren't as many people who look like us as we would want to have in those positions. And so I wanted to also have a book that, you know, people could have access to that would maybe help them to be in a better position to um, ascend in an organization. That's awesome. I, I wanted to kind of go back on your statement earlier, which I quoted you and tweeted it out. And a lot of people um actually retweeted it as well um, was the, part about being more self-aware and how that made you better at your job mm -hmm. and how understanding yourself has helped you connect with other people. Yeah. And I can totally relate to that. That's kind of how I even started Black Girl Nerds is because I had a season of solitude where, you know, I just was living out on my own and I wasn't under uh, the influence of friends or family to kind of steer me into their atmosphere and in their environment and really kind of just 
came to terms with who I was and, and spent more time with me. And really that helped me kind of feel more confident in going into uh, writing more and feeling more confident about things that I had suppressed because I just kind of felt like, oh, well, maybe I'm not good enough to, you know, start writing and have everybody see it. Or I felt like a little insecure about being very transparent about my previous experiences. And when I finally realized that, you know what, I'm just going to go for it and this is me and I'm just going to, you know, unapologetically put myself out there. It, it really helped um, Black Girl Nerds be a, a community where people can just be themselves. So I'm really glad that you said that because it, it's, I can definitely testify to having that experience. Yeah, and I think, you know, the more comfortable you become in your own skin, the more comfortable people become around you. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like when you're inadvertently putting a guard up just because you feel like you can't be your real self around people. People feel that. And so it does get in the way of the connection. And, and I do think it's true that once you just decide, okay, this is who I am, accept it or don't. But um, I know who I am. That, that I think that's when you really do reach the next level of your career. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Um, there's a lot of business books out there. What, yeah. What's different about this one? Yeah, so there are a ton. I mean, especially, you know, books that are telling you how to be a leader. I, I think there are a lot of them. And I've read a lot of them and recommended a lot of them to my clients. Um, but what I found in most of the leadership books that I've read is that they're very surface level. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to focus more on, you know, do this technique or do this sort of thing to get people to do why. And I found that there really weren't a lot of leadership books that encouraged people to take a deep look at themselves, kind of think of yourself as a person behind the leader, because I mean, you're at work, but you're still a person at work and you bring all of your kind of quirks and strengths and everything to the workplace. And so being aware of how those impact you, I think are so important, you know, even things like values, I think, um, you know, values shape how we interact with people, but a lot of times we don't examine what our values are. And, um, you know, just something like that I felt was really helpful for people to be able to, you know, reflect on as they're leading. And then the other thing that I've seen in a lot of leadership books is that they're based on a theory. So someone will have an idea about what makes you a good leader, and then they'll give you all these suggestions, mm -hmm. um, which I think is fine. But I really wanted what I was suggesting to be based on research. Um, and I guess, you know, as a nerd, I actually really love research mm -hmm. and get excited about reading journal articles. And so I wanted to draw on research in the book that I was writing, but not write it in such an academic way that um, people who aren't into reading journal articles would be um, put off by it. And so, you know, I think what's really different is just the research aspect. Also, there are a lot of exercises but, you know, at the foundation, it's really encouraging you to do through the deep psychological work to understand yourself and to make yourself a better person. Would you say as a writer that you write from a point of view that is based off of your experiences, whether they were good experiences or, or negative ones to help um, allow people to identify and, and use sort of an empathy method um, to connect with your readers? Yeah, definitely. So, um, like I said, I like to draw on research, but I think if you're just reading straight research, it can be pretty dry. Mm -hmm. And so um, I talk a lot about my own experiences, and some of them are pretty personal. Um, but I think that 
you know, it's helpful because everybody's, or a lot of people have gone through a lot of the things that I've gone through or had some of the life questions that I've had. And so I think it just helps you to put yourself in that position. And, you know, for things where I haven't necessarily had that experience as a psychologist, I've dealt with a lot of clients. And so, you know, I might give their case study instead, but again, it's something that I think a lot of people can relate to. And you say self-awareness should be a foundation for all leaders. What can people do to become more self-aware? Yeah, so I definitely think that it's a foundation. And I don't know how many people who are listening have ever watched The Office, but it was one of my favorite shows. And if you think of the boss, Michael Scott from The Office, um, he's someone who's really well-intentioned, but just has no self-awareness whatsoever. and so isn't aware of the impact that he's having on other people. And, you know, if you think of how Dunder Mifflin operates, um, they're probably not getting their best results. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Michael Scott's leadership. And I think that self-awareness is the sort of thing that you can get better at, first of all, just by trying to be more self-aware. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you regularly are asking yourself a lot of questions to understand you know, why you're doing the things that you're doing, or, you know, what's important to you, that sort of thing. I mean, you're automatically going to become more self-aware. Um, I think another really good exercise that you can do is just sit down and write down what you would say are your strengths and what you would say are your weaknesses, or, you know, instead of weakness, you could think of it as areas where you could still develop. And, you know, just that gives you a better understanding of, the strengths in you that you can really leverage and use to your best advantage. But then also, you know, what are the things that I really need to get better at? And if I'm honest with myself, I know that, you know, I could use some help or I could go to somebody who's stronger in that area so that it doesn't hold me back. So strengths and weaknesses are really important. And I would say that if you try to consider your strengths and weaknesses and you find that you're having a hard time figuring it out, um, another really good strategy is to go around and ask people for feedback. And, um, you know, one of the self-realizations that I had in going through my own process was realizing that I didn't always like to hear feedback. <laughs> I liked to hear it when it was positive, but when, you know, it was something negative, especially if it was something my husband was telling me, I wasn't always really open to hearing the feedback. Um, and so one of the things that you want to make sure you do when you're asking people for feedback is be really careful about how you're taking the feedback. Um, because, you know, I'm sure you might have given somebody some feedback and then, you know, they took it in such a bad way that you decided you're never going to give them feedback again. Or, uh, you know, I've been in that situation. And mm -hmm. so you really want to make it easy for people to give you feedback because the real benefit of getting feedback is that it prevents you from having blind spots or walking around like a Michael Scott, or, you know, kind of walking around with spinach in your teeth, but just not knowing. Um, and so I would encourage anybody to ask for feedback and, you know, to really take a note of it. And even if somebody doesn't give it very well, just still try and get to what the meat of it is, because it's only for your own growth and your self-awareness that you're doing something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I have some other strategies too. Um, Something else that can be really helpful is becoming aware of your emotions. Um, I think a lot of times we can be 
guided by our emotions more than we might realize. Mm. And instead of learning to take a step back and look at what our emotions are, we just react. And so that's when you often make a lot of mistakes in terms of how you're interacting with people or getting outcomes maybe that you didn't really want. And so a really good strategy is learning to label your emotions. Because what we know scientifically is, you know, you tend to experience your emotions in your body and then your brain kicks in. But just the process Mm -hmm. of trying to label an emotion, actually um, what happens is the the prefrontal cortex of your brain, sort of the front part of your brain that's involved with thinking and higher Mm -hmm. learning starts to take effect and your brain becomes less emotional and you kind of become more rational just as a matter of doing that. And so if you can learn to be a little bit like um, an anthropologist in your own life, just kind of looking at your emotions non-judgmentally and learning to label them, you'll find that you're much, much more self-aware. And Mm -hmm. when you're more self-aware, then you can be more intentional about how you're relating to people. That's excellent advice. Like people on Twitter need to follow that advice. (laughs) (laughs) Because everybody has so many knee-jerk reactions to things that are so like, I mean, asinine things that come up and, you know, hot topics. And if you just take a moment to just take a deep breath and like you said, think of how you're going to react and label your emotions. I think that's excellent advice. And that transcends to not only just the workforce, but the way you conduct yourself online. So true. And I mean, if you start to look at what are my triggers and you know what your triggers are, then that can even let you know to be more effective in terms of taking a step back and figuring out, okay, I know I'm being triggered. Why? How do I want to behave in this situation? And then you can be intentional. Like I I remember there was one client I had who really disliked people who marketed themselves. And so, you know, she was dealing with a lot of salespeople And a lot of salespeople can be um, kind of self-promotional, I found, because that's kind of what their job is. Mm -hmm. And this person, it was just her pet peeve. And she would get so irritated when she was dealing with anyone like that. And so, and then she would say, you know, make sarcastic comments or be standoffish. And it would have issues for her in terms of how she was interacting with people. And um, so the first step was understanding that that was her trigger so that she was more on guard for not putting her foot in her mouth in those situations. But then I also encourage her to think about why that was her trigger, just so that she could have, again, greater self-awareness. And what she discovered was that um, she was like the oldest child and an only child for a while. And then when she was about six, she had a little sister. And her little sister was one of those really bright-eyed, bushy-tailed people who you know everybody loved. And she was an extrovert. And my client was an introvert. And it like brought up just... I guess it just pushed this button from childhood of her resenting her little sister a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, because her little sister got all the attention. And Mm -hmm. so knowing the trigger and then why it was triggering her helped her to have a better understanding of it. And it helped her to deal with it and realize, you know what, this person is not my little sister (laughs) and, you know, I need to just let that go. So I I think all of that's really important. Hmm. Um, So I have a business. I'm a blogger and party stylist, like I mentioned before, but I'm very, very positive. And I go to like a lot of networking events. I go to a lot of like mixers. And a lot of times there's people that just do all different things. 
I'm naturally just a really happy person. Like I'm always happy. I'm always talking about glitter or unicorns or something. And that's just who I am. And I obviously want my clientele to kind of not, they don't have to fit that. Like, honestly, my best client is someone that's like completely against it. Cause I like showing them how awesome it is. <laughs> But um, with that said, a lot of business owners, a lot of businessmen, especially like a lot of um, like older people, they don't take me seriously at all. They don't take the positive side of me serious. If I come over there and like, and just talk to them and I'm like, you know, straightforward and just me, they're just like, oh, you're way too happy here. <laughs> so with your clients, how do you show that being positive and changing your mentality can actually add productivity to your workplace? Like how do, what do you, like, what are your tips on that? Yeah. So, um, I would say that there are a lot of people who are in the business world who have sort of been raised to think that you have to, you know, apply performance tension people or, you know, you can't be too nice because if you are, you know, people will just, I don't know, sit back and eat bonbons all day or something like that. And so, um, what I found is really effective is speaking in a language that they understand. And um, because I've been in the corporate world for so long, I know that the um, language that they tend to understand is data and research. And there's a lot of research out there. There's this whole field called positive psychology that shows us about the benefits of being more positive. Like there was this one study that was done um, by someone who's basically like the father of positive psychology. His name is Martin Seligman. And he looked at salespeople and he found that salespeople who were more optimistic had greater, um, they basically sold more than people who were not as optimistic. And, you know, they brought in, I think by the second year, I want to say around like six, 30%, I want to say, but don't quote me on that, more income than people who are less optimistic. Mm. And you know, that in and of itself, I think, is, you know, good data that can help to convince someone. There's other new studies that show that people, um, CEOs who are more positive, actually have companies that um, have a higher return on investment. Um, that was a really interesting study that was done. Um, there's also another study that was done that shows that managers who are more positive have workforces who are more engaged and who tend to have better outcomes. And so, I mean, if you think of it, if you're going to work and you think of your best boss, probably the person who you enjoyed working for and who the, got the most out of you wasn't somebody who was yelling at you and giving you a hard time or somebody who you didn't have a good relationship with. It was somebody who was probably more positive, who was interested in you as a person and, you know, who took an interest in you. And so I think most people know it intuitively that a supportive culture gives you more freedom to be creative and feel supported. But even for the people who are more naysayers, you know, I find that when you go in with data and research, it's harder for them to argue with it. And if they do, then, you know, they're just kind of making an informed decision that they're going to ignore the research. But, you know, most people when they hear it are going to at least be a little bit open to it. Um. You also talk a lot about spirituality, excuse me, spirituality. Oh my God, I can't talk right now. <laughs> spirituality. Oh my God. Spirit, being spiritual. There we go. In your book. <laughs> sorry. My dog is barking, so I'm like losing my mind. But um, you often hear that business and religion don't mix in the work 
So how do you reconcile the two? Like, how do you make those two things work in the workplace? Yeah, so I guess for me, I really draw a distinction between religion and spirituality. Because mm. I've actually, you know, been in workplaces where someone was religious and or where a lot of people were religious and where it could create issues. Um, there was somewhere where I used to work and it was like almost every day in, in the lunchroom for a while, there were these two people who would be getting into these religious arguments. And I think, you know, religion is really your set of beliefs about maybe how to be spiritual. And, um, you know, it's the sort of thing that you just can't get into an argument about because people have their deeply held religious beliefs. And so for me, I'm talking less about religion and more about spirituality. And I see spirituality really as just having a sense of meaning or purpose in your life, kind of thinking about, you know, I'm here on this planet, what am I here for? What's meaningful to me? And how can I really um, bring that into my work? And um, there are actually some psychologists who are called existential um, psychologists. And according to them, we all have as our responsibility on the planet, the um, need to figure out what's meaningful to us and what really brings our life meaning. And so I encourage everyone to do that because I think, first of all, it just helps to give you um, a greater sense of direction mm -hmm. as you're going after things. Mm -hmm. And um, research also shows that when we see our job as a calling, we just do so much better at it. We put more effort in, we work harder, we're happier. There was this really interesting study that they did. I hope I'm not quoting too much research. I, I, I like research, but um, <laughs> obviously. Um, but there was this really interesting study that was done with people who did cleaning at a hospital. And so if you think of it, cleaning at a hospital, for most of us, we probably wouldn't think of that as a job that, you know, is a calling for many of us. But there were some people in that sample who really saw it as a calling. And they didn't see it as just, you know, drudgery in terms of wiping up after patients or sweeping, or, you know, doing whatever. They saw themselves as really helping to create a positive environment for people to heal. And I mean, if you think of it that way, it's a totally different way to look at it. And so it gave them a sense of purpose in their work. And as a result, you know, they were much more engaged in their work than people who saw it as drudgery. They were happier. They worked harder. They, you know, did a better job at it. And so I think for all of us, if we can really kind of take a moment and think about what's important to me, you know, if I were to die tomorrow, you know, am I doing something that really is meaningful to me? And really ask yourself those deep questions. So uh, Latanya, you had another question for Patricia. Yeah, it kind of was just an extension on what you were saying. Um, so I completely fullheartedly agree with you. Um, I think you have to, you know, pursue what you're passionate about and not see a job as just like, oh, this is the job. And if you have something like that, it should be funding or helping you get to the next step of where you feel that you need you, sh you should be in your life. And with that said, What's your advice on doing that? Because there's tons of people that are just, you know, working just because they're like, oh, I need to work and I need to make money. And that person could still be, you know, like, you know, religious or spiritual or, you know, have some sort of belief. 
but they kind of disconnect the two. A lot of people do that, actually. And it's like, I feel that if you you have passion and you have some sort of faith and if you have motivation to, to live every day, then why not do that in your work? You should live in the moment. So what is your advice on helping someone get there? Okay, I heard I, you were cutting in and out a little bit, but basically, if I'm understanding your question, just how to get people to a point of really seeing their work as meaningful, is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically, like, because a lot of people separate the two, you know what I mean? Like, they'll be like, okay, you know, I go to church, or I do yoga, or whatever their spiritual fix is, but they'll still go to a job they hate and be miserable, you know what I mean? So how... Do you right. get the person that give them that push to kind of realize that everything is together, you know, like it's one big thing. Yeah. I mean, well, so like I said, I think one exercise that can be really helpful is um, writing your own obituary <laughs> and wow. actually thinking about, <laughs> I'm going to write my own obituary right now. And I was being honest and I wasn't like being, you know, how sometimes at funerals people say all the nice things that aren't entirely true. But if I was actually writing it, like, say, a newspaper might write it, if they were um, being honest, what would I say? Mm -hmm. And I think um, if you do that exercise and you're not living in a way that's fully aligned with who you are or what you feel like your purpose is or what's important to you, it can be a really eye-opening experience because it's kind of bringing to your mind the idea that, you know, life is finite. I'm not going to be here forever. and um, you know, it's kind of starkly written there that, you know, you're not doing everything that you want to be doing in your life. And I think, you know, people need to set the bar higher in terms of what they think their life can be. Because I think that a lot of times, you know, people just see their job as something that they do, like you said, and, you know, they might suffer through it, and it might be miserable. And that's their expectation of what life is. And then you have fun, you know, when you're not at your job. But, um, you know, if you see your life as a whole picture, then you really should be pursuing things that are going to be meaningful to you. And, you know, we spend so much time at work that if you're doing something that you hate, then, you know, you're wasting big chunks of your life. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you just consider the possibility that you can have what you want in a career, and you might not get there immediately, but I think if you at least have an idea of where you want to go, mm -hmm. then even what you're doing in the moment can, you mm -hmm. need more education to get to another job. And so the job that you're in currently is, you know, one that you don't enjoy. Well, you could realize that I'm learning new skills right now that are going to help me in my new job. And so that can make it more meaningful. Mm -hmm. Or you can realize that, you know, Maybe I am learning how to deal with difficult people and that will be helpful to me in my new job. Or maybe you can just use it as an opportunity to build resilience or whatever. But I think as long as you have that kind of overall vision, um, anything can become more meaningful to you. Totally agree with that. Um, I feel like, you know, for me, and I've, I've been pretty open about, you know, my faith in my belief. I'm, I'm Christian and I listen to um, various um, speakers and Joyce Meyer comes to mind where she says that you need to enjoy the journey while you wait. Um, I believe very firmly that when you're in a situation where you're in between jobs 
or you're waiting for that opportunity. Rather than having a negative attitude about things and going, oh, gosh, this will never happen for me or, you know, I'm not talented enough or, you know, the man is trying to bring me down, blah, blah, blah. Um, you have to have a positive attitude while you wait. And I know it's hard. I mean, trust me, I know, because I've tried to apply for so many jobs and got rejected and had all of the credentials, both education-wise, experience-wise, and still nobody would give me a break. Um, but it took a moment for me to just stop getting upset about it and stop beating myself up over it and just staying positive and then also redirecting uh, that into something that I love doing, um, which for me is writing. That helped me, you know, be able to go through this sort of period where nothing was happening. And then finally something did happen. And then I was able to use a lot of the skills that I was doing in my writing for that job. So I, I think what you said is, is spot on. You, you really do have to have a positive attitude while you're waiting because sometimes it's, it's not going to happen right away. And, and why put yourself through a whole bunch of misery, um, you know, for no reason, because uh, eventually things will happen for you. But I think we, we all live in this society where we, we want things right away, right now. And even if it's something that may take, you know, longer than a few months or even a year, you still have to stay focused and stay positive because when that thing happens, it, it's going to happen and it's going to happen at the right time. Um, I mean, that's something also to consider. Like, I feel like timing is everything. Mm -hmm. And had I, you know, I applied for many jobs in marketing. I've talked about this on a career podcast before. But um, had I gotten that marketing job when I did, I don't think I'd be quite prepared for it. And I now finally have that marketing job. And I'm so prepared for it because of what I've been doing with my blogging and what I've been doing through social media and, and things of that nature. So I feel like things don't happen for you for a particular reason. And when they do, just, just value that moment because it, it may not be the right time for you. It may not be your season. So um, It's always the right fit when it does happen. It, it's always the right fit when it does. Yeah, absolutely. So, But in the meantime, while you're waiting, you know, stay positive and find something a hobby or an interest that just, you know, makes you so excited that you're passionate about, go to a whole bunch of cons, like do something that makes you happy and makes you feel fulfilled. And then um, you'll be surprised at how quickly uh, that waiting goes by. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, that whole um, biblical um, concept from James about faith and works and that, you know, you can be engaging in all kinds of works while you're waiting that are helping to make you ready. And I think the other thing to think about kind of that I think about it in terms of my own spirituality is that the world is not all about me. And so mm, right. there are other people who might need to um, be helping me out in terms of my path, but maybe mm -hmm. they're not ready yet. <laughs> Or, you know, it's kind of like an orchestra. Everything has to be orchestrated at the right time. And even though I'm ready, maybe some really key person that I'm supposed to be working with isn't ready or the time isn't right for them. Mm -hmm. And so if I can just trust that everything is getting orchestrated or it's kind of like I've heard the um, analogy of a GPS where you just follow the instructions and you might not know exactly where the GPS is taking you or how it's going to get you there, but it'll get you there if you have that trust. Right. And you know, I think if you look at life that way and can just kind of really enjoy the journey and the lessons and find meaning in everything that you're doing, 
um, you can choose not to suffer in any given situation. Absolutely. You mentioned that happiness is important for leaders. What are some things individuals can do to increase their happiness level? Um, yeah, and so all of the suggestions that I'm going to give are based on research. Um, and one really easy strategy to do is practicing gratitude. And, you know, mm -hmm. you hear about gratitude journals and being grateful. And there's research that shows that when you practice gratitude, you know, you become a happier person because I think that you're more aware of what there is in the world to be grateful for. And so, you know, studies show that you do your best at it or you get the most um, benefit if you actually write down the things you're grateful for as opposed to just thinking about them. I guess just that additional physical act um, helps it to be more effective. And, you know, what I would recommend is like at the end of the day, write down three to five things that you're grateful for and, you know, just make that a regular habit like brushing your teeth. And that's something that will help you to become happier. And I think if you really want to kind of up your ante, you could take something maybe that didn't go well for you that day and think about what can I be grateful for in this or how can this help me to become a better person? And I think that in and of itself also helps you to feel more power over what you're doing and helps you to kind of appreciate the journey like we were just talking about. Um, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask if it's something like writing it down. Do you think it's something that you should always reference? Because what I do, I, I do that almost daily, but I, I do it via Twitter. <laughs> like I'll do like daily gratitude tweets. Um, completely agree. It makes my day. I do it in the morning. Ten, I try to do it at night, usually for good at night, but it makes my day so great. Like anything that bad that can happen, I'm like, oh, well. I'm still, you know, like, so it's just something that you should keep and like always reference, like, should I be journaling this or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think what you're doing is fine. I'm like, I don't know that they've studied it in terms of tweeting it. <laughs> it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like the research, I don't think they've looked at it that way. They've just looked at, I think, writing it down versus thinking about it. But I mean, any sort of gratitude mm -hmm. is definitely helpful. I think it can be helpful, though, to actually be able to look back on it. Because I think, you know, if you don't develop a regular discipline around it, then there can be days mm -hmm. maybe where you're not feeling so grateful. <laughs> and it can help you to look back and realize that you have a lot to be grateful for. Like just today, um, one of my friends actually wrote on Facebook. So she was, I guess, Facebooking what she was grateful for that um, a year ago today, her house had burned down and she was just grateful that all of her family was safe and that even though they lost all of their stuff, they still had each other and it gave her a different sense of perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, she Facebooked it and I think the benefit of that was that other people were able to also see like, okay, you need to be grateful, you know, because here's this person who's lost her house and she can still be looking on the positive. So maybe mm -hmm. that's the way to spread the gratitude. So maybe you're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I can empathize with that one. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to take to Twitter I I don't know if they're actually listening in or not, but um, I'm going to read this comment and I want you, Patricia, to give this person some perspective. 
Um, they say it's hard to comment positively about this BGM podcast. I'm so cynical about management and time. And again, they prove that cynicism is right. Any thoughts on that? She's cynical about management. Yeah, management and time and time again that the, the cynicism is right. So um, just sort of, you know, management in the workplace and yeah. maybe. Yeah, and I, I can totally understand that because I think that there are a lot of people who don't operate according to this standard. And so, you know, as a result, I think sometimes we can find ourselves in workplaces that feel like they're toxic or they're just not a good fit for us. And, um, you know, one of the things that I would encourage people to do is, you know, maybe start to take little steps if they find that they're in a workplace that just isn't a good fit for them to find something else. And I mean, you don't have to do something radical like quit your job and then, you know, have nothing in terms of income and then try and find something. But, you know, just take little steps to look out there because I mean, there are workplaces that are more positive, but, but cultures do vary, um, you know, within workplaces. But, you know, if you find that you're in a place that's not a good fit for you, I think life is short. So, you know, start to make steps so that you can find somewhere that's more supportive. And I agree that not all leaders um, really work this way, but I do think that positive psychology and the research that's being done is growing. And so, I mean, I think you see more in the media about things like mindfulness or, you know, being aware of your strengths or practicing gratitude. And so my hope is that eventually there'll be a critical mass that will understand that this is the appropriate way to get things done and the data shows that you know you have more benefit this way and then hopefully you know workplace culture will change we'll see thank you for that i hope they're listening in and feel free to call patricia our phone number again is 718-404-9320 or tweet using that hashtag if you have any specific questions um to kind of help give you some some perspective, because I know it's so easy to be cynical when a lot of negative things happen. And trust me, I, I know what that's like. Um, but there's always an opportunity to see the other side of things. And, and that's when you see the shift happening. Um, I just want to also just comment on some of the tweets um, or read them rather. Christian Johnson at Nerd Poetics says that this is an age of immediacy, but it's important to hone your craft and have patience. So that was that discussion earlier about yeah. having a positive attitude while you wait. Um, and then also further back, we had India at India's Movies saying that she totally agrees with labeling your emotions and recognizing triggers. Um, so a lot of folks just echoing your sentiments and agreeing with a lot of what's being said here. Um, what? Why is a holistic approach so important? We often hear that personal and professional shouldn't mix. Yeah, so the thing that I would say is just that we come to work as whole people and things trickle over. And so I think, you know, we've been in situations where you might be in a bad relationship or maybe something bad is going on at home and then at work you can't concentrate as much or you might feel like you're stressed out or, you know, on Converse, if you're in a place like the, I guess the person who had tweeted talked about where, you know, management is just not positive, then that can trickle over at home. I was, you know, for a while in a job that I didn't feel like was a good fit for me. And my husband said, when I left it, I totally became another person. And <laughs> so, you know, we're a whole person and we take that everywhere we go. And so you really have to 
be thinking about not just what you're like at work, but what you're like at home. How am I taking care of myself, you know, on a physical level? Because it's all connected. Like, um, there's interesting research that shows that optimism, for example, is linked to better health outcomes and actually um, less um, or bouncing back more quickly from heart attacks, for example, or being less likely to get colds. Um, there was another study that was done where they did a yoga intervention and people found that they were making more effective decisions in the workplace. Um, I don't know if any people have seen, there's something called power posing, which is basically if you put yourself in a power pose, like for example, standing like a superhero <laughs> and uh, like Wonder Woman, if you think of her hands on her hips and her legs out and you mm -hmm. hold that position for two minutes, um, people who've done that and then go into negotiations are, are more effective. And so it's really interesting, all of this stuff about how our minds and our bodies and our outcomes are all connected. And so you really have to think of yourself as a whole person because we just know that it's it all plays out that way in the workplace. So that's why a holistic approach is so important. Um, I'm going to tell you a trick to like me. This is like going to sound completely crazy, but it's the honest to God truth. Um, what I tend to do, like if I have to like meet with a client or if I have to do like a lecture or anything that I, you know, I always pretend that I'm a drag queen. I know that's like completely <laughs> crazy, but I do it. It totally works. It's like, it works like a charm every time I'm like I'm a drag queen and then I just do it and it's amazing and I'm like oh okay that's what I need to do I need to tap into that for some reason but okay <laughs> that's awesome I, I um I actually picture people and, and remember that when they go home at night they put on their sweatpants um just because for some reason it makes someone seem more comfortable than if they're in like a power suit so I guess, you know, whatever works, I, I got to try the drag queen window. That's yeah, good. it totally works for me every <laughs> single time. I'm like, wow, okay, that's easy. <laughs> that's like awesome. Every time. <laughs> I guess you just um, have to be careful the things you say. So, I mean, you can't <laughs> talk about throwing shade and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, now it's time to get up and close and personal with you. Okay. Um, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Like, what do you do in your personal life? How do you make um, the world amazing? Well, so like I mentioned, I had that breakup five years ago, but as it turned out, you know, once I did the self-reflection, Within a couple months, I started dating a person who's my now husband. Um, so we spent a lot of time together, obviously. And I have a 16-month-old son who keeps me busy. Um, and so, you know, that's a lot of my time. And then when I have free time, when I'm not tending to them, um, I really enjoy tennis. And so, um, you know, the U.S. playing and watching. And so, you know, watching the U.S. Open over the past two weeks has been something that um, I've been monopolizing the TV um, I also really enjoy indie films um, and reading. And then um, I also most of the time enjoy working out. But even if I don't enjoy it, I force myself to do it just because of that whole holistic approach that I, I really believe in. And, and I feel so much better when I'm doing it. And, you know, I was talking about happiness strategies before and um, exercise is something that's been shown to be linked with um, a more positive mood, too. So um, I force myself to do that even when I don't feel like it. And I always, you know, feel better as a result. I need to get to that point because it's true. I feel so much better when I work out than if I don't. Really do. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, well, it's about that time. I'm going to wrap up the show. 
Patricia, um, tell our listeners where they can purchase your book, The Consummate Leader, A Holistic Guide to Inspiring Growth in Others and in Yourself, and where they can learn more about your teachings and, and find out where you are. Okay, well, the book is available on Amazon, also Barnes & Noble. Um, you can get it for your Kindle. You can get it on iTunes if you like it for your iPad. And so um, you can just order it online, and that's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, and if you want to learn more about me, you can go to my website, which is www.patricia-thompson.com. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is at Patricia underscore ATL, because I'm here in Atlanta. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patricia, for coming on. I, I knew that this was going to be a show with a lot of good takeaways, so I hope you guys got a lot of uh, good notes. I took some notes myself. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for your insight. And um, please check out that book when you get an opportunity. Our show next week, we are going to do a two-part show. So the first segment is going to be about online dating. And our second segment is about black diversity and black stereotypes. So that will be a very interesting hot button topic. And please tune in next week, Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on TWIB. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening in. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, 